glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I just want to say, I know we've already kind of mentioned this a couple of times, but I just want to thank everyone who's helped out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we had this grand vision of some things we want to do to be able to improve the area. And, and not just in here, and here it's kind of big and it's noticeable. It's crazy how much stage space we have now, and there's still some work to be done here. But just throughout the building, just to, to see the change and see the excitement that, it, that it's generating. Again, these are, these are all things that we do. They're environments that we, we want to be able to create to make a, a, a conducive for us to get together, to do children's ministry, to be able to worship. That's not the, the biggest deal. The biggest deal is when we get together say, God, we want to do our best to bring glory to you. And so I just want to thank everyone who's helped out in that. It's been a huge undertaking. And again, as Chris mentioned, we're not entirely done. There's some exciting things still happening. Uh, but just, uh, just a heartfelt word of appreciation for everyone who's helped out with that. Uh, but today we're continuing in the series we're calling Why Behind the What? And as a church, I think it's, it's very healthy for us to talk about vision, to talk about, hey, here are some things as a church that we want to be a part of. But sometimes we have to go to the next step and say, not just what are we doing, but why are we doing it? I think it's, it's good, it's healthy, and, and if you have children, you know, you're going on a long trip and they're asking the questions, well, why do we do this and why do we do that? And it's like question after question, and each answer you give them, the next question can be, okay, what about this? Why about this? Why about this? Well, I think it's okay not to go get carried away with that, but it's okay as a church for us to say, for us to take, take a step back, to look at everything that's happening and say, okay, why as a church are we doing that? Because if you have those questions, we want to be able to answer them because almost everything we do is on purpose. Every once in a while, something comes along and we say, we're going to try this. We don't know if it's going to work or not. And there's a step of faith that's associated with that. But most of what we're working through, most of, of what happens, we've done strategically with a goal in mind of what we want to see accomplished. You see, at Reach Point Church, we have a, a goal in mind. We kind of have a vision. We want to we try as much as it's possible for us to be a church. Unchurched people love to attend. But that's not even what our mission is as a church. It's kind of the vision of how we're trying to get there. But our mission as a church is this. The words are going to appear up on a screen. But our mission is this. We want to lead people in a growing relationship with Christ. And that means that if, if it's someone who's been, uh, and that's not, that, that should be kind of the mission statement for every church that's out there. There's nothing profound or, or deep about that. But where that comes in, kind of in, in our setting, what we're trying to accomplish is that we have a lot of people who come to church here that have never been to church before in their life. And they have a lot of questions. And that's okay. We want to be able to answer those questions. And for them, it's coming to a point of, of, of faith. Just, and, and a lot of people think, once I get to that point of faith, once I make a decision to accept Christ, I've reached the, the, the end point, I've reached the finish line. But as we start to make this journey in, in our faith, we realize that that's not a finishing, a finishing line for us. That's really the starting point. That's where everything begins. And so RPC's mission is to lead people in a growing relationship with Christ. When I read that, there's a lot of that that can jump out. And it's a simple statement, but there's a lot that grows out, jumps out. But the one word that kind of jumps out to me the most, at least right now where I'm currently at, is that word growing. You see, it's great that we have faith. It's great. And for those that made that decision to follow Christ, we all kind of come to that in a different way. But when we make that decision to follow Christ, that is just the beginning of our journey. And our goal is to lead people in a growing relationship with Christ. And how do we do that? Well, today we're going to talk about one of the strategies that we employ to be able to get there. And I think it's something that, though you're not going to find this specifically mentioned in Scripture, I think the idea is there. And everything that we do, everything we talk about, we want to go back to Scripture and say, why do we do this? And is it scriptural? Is it something that, that Jesus wants us to be a part of? And so today we're going to talk specifically about the groups that we have. We have family groups meeting throughout the community. 
uh, and they meet throughout the week on different nights of the week, and, and they get together and they, they eat because eating is always good, and, and, we, and we like that portion of it. But they get together to eat and, and to talk about the Bible and, and to just engage in life together. And there's something so healthy, there's something so balanced about that. You see, this whole series as we ask these questions, why do we do what we do? The first couple weeks, we're really focused on our, our, our vision as a church to want to be a church on church people love to attend. We want to reach out. Last week, we talked about build and bring. The week before, we talked about being involved in international missions, going to the DR, going to the Philippines or Honduras, doing all these trips. And all of that is important. There's, there's a healthy balance we're trying to achieve where we want to reach out and, and let people know how great Jesus is. That's so much a core part of who we are. And if we're truly following Christ, that's a portion of, of, of what we're trying to do is to say, God, I know that something great happened in my life. And when something good happens, we want to tell people. But when something great happens, we want to tell everyone. And it doesn't matter if it's right here across the street from us, the people we engage with on a daily basis. It doesn't matter if it happens maybe next summer as we get a chance to travel across the world. As we engage in this community, as we care about people, We want to build those relationships, bring those people to church, bring those people to Jesus, and be able to share the great thing that happened. But once we have faith, what do we do with that? I mean, I've made a decision at some point in my life. And for me, it was when I was was 19 years old, I made a decision to say, I want to follow Christ. But for me, that wasn't near the finish line for me. In fact, that was just the beginning of what God had. And for each one of us, when we wrestle with that, and for people who are here, maybe today they're still wrestling and they're trying to get to that point where their faith is, is being started. That's great, but realize it's a starting point. Our purpose is to lead people in a growing relationship with Christ. That means if we're doing this well, we are more mature in our walk with Jesus today than we were a year ago. And it also means if we're doing this well, that five years from now, you will be more mature in your walk with Jesus than you are today. See, our life, this whole life we have is a journey. And as we go on this journey, it's, it's going to have its ups and downs, but that throughout this journey, the more we get to know who God is, the more we get to know the depth and the, and the love of what Jesus has for us, the more we want to grow in that relationship. And so today we're going to lay a scriptural foundation. We're going to get into this, the important role that groups can play in, in fostering uh, that, that desire to grow in our life. For me, the first time I really, really in my life realized the importance of, of groups. Uh, not necessarily in a church setting, though it kind of was. Uh, see, I, I, I was a student in, in college. I was actually about 19 or 20 years old. I was a student at college, and I finished up going to a local community college. I was up at University of Florida. And when I started to feel God called me into ministry, and, and, and I, I loved it, and it was scary, and I hadn't really grown up going to church. I didn't know what that looked like. I just felt like, God, I, I know you have something for me. During that year, as I was kind of working through that, I'd met my wife, and, and we were getting engaged. We were getting ready to get married. I was getting ready to finish up college, and I felt like God was calling me back to go from University of Florida to this small Christian college to finish up my degree work, which was also going to put me a couple of, of semesters behind kind of my schedule when I wanted to graduate. And I knew, like, looking into this, that I was now going from being on a four-year plan to finish up college to now being on, like, a seven-year plan. And I don't know if you guys think it was like one of the Chris Farley movies, Tommy Boy or whatever, where he makes a statement, it took him seven years to graduate college. And, and David Spade kind of says, makes fun of him for that. And he's, well, he said, what? A lot of people take seven years. And he says, yeah, they're called doctors. Uh, and that wasn't me. I was going through seven years to, to, to finish up because I was transferring colleges and switching majors. And I didn't want that to be me. And so I decided my first semester at the small Christian college, and I was getting into my degree field, uh, getting to do what I wanted to do. I decided I was going to take 20 hours, which was just a crazy, insane amount of hours for you to transfer in and take your first semester. 
But that, and, and I was doing okay at college. I wasn't doing great. I wasn't blowing them away, but I definitely wasn't filling out. I was kind of getting by. I could have been doing better. But something so powerful happened that, that first semester that I transferred into that college was that I got in with a good group of guys that were all in the same major. Uh, one of the guys that I started hang, hanging out with at that time was our former pastor. Tim was going to college there at that time, and, and he started at the same time I did. We both transferred in. And there were about five or six of us that just got together and we started pushing and prodding each other to do better. And I'd never been part of a group that just wanted to excel so much. And it really began academically. Like we started pushing each other to excel academically. And it became a competition, not in a negative way. We weren't trying to beat each other up. But we started pushing each other saying, let's get together. Let's study this out. One of the things we had to take, the the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And one of the classes we had to take was, was Greek New Testament, learning how to, to study Greek to be able to read the New Testament. And I thought that was crazy. It was really hard trying to learn a foreign language. It wasn't even a spoken language. It was a written language. It was really, really difficult. And so that group would get together, and it was, end up being a two-year-long class. We would get together every couple of weeks to, to study before our test, and we would gather together at Village Inn and meet at like 6 o'clock in the morning just to study, do our best, and to excel. And it began trying to focus on excelling academically. But as each one of us started getting involved in churches throughout, literally throughout Central Florida, we started pushing and prodding each other in our ministries. And I started to see the value that groups played when we got in with a good group of people that cared about us, that wanted to push us to do better, we started to excel. Life is like that. We are pushed so much by the people around us. And we can be pushed and prodded towards that which is good, or we can be pushed and prodded towards that which is bad. But our success and failure often hinges on who are the people we're doing life with. I read a book recently, and they said there are two key things for getting through life's most difficult moments. Number one is your worldview, how you view things right now. If you have a healthy, balanced worldview, if you have, if you have a proper perspective in life, you have a much better chance of making it through life's most difficult moments. But number two, and just as important, is the people we're doing life with. When we have a group of people that we hang out with, a group of people that we do life with, a group of people that we celebrate our successes, and we go through those difficult, challenging times that are there to give us a shoulder to cry on or to give us a hug when we most need it. That can happen in a church setting. That can happen as we put people in groups and say, let's get together and study the Bible and talk through things. But it also happens organically as we build our lives around people that are going to push us and promise to do that which is good. Today we're going to look at a scripture kind of as a starting point for what we want to talk about. We're going to look at a scripture in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at this this scripture. And and there's actually a a lot that's going on here. It's It's really only three verses, but there's a whole lot that's going on here. Acts is a history of the early church, which is good. If we're talking about the vision for church... It's probably good if we look at the early church and what they were trying to do. So a couple weeks ago, we used the book of Acts, and today we're going to look again in the, in the book of Acts. Uh, but we're actually going to see, and, and, and to get a, a picture of what's happening here, Acts chapter 17, Paul is actually in the middle. The apostle Paul is in the middle of, of a missionary journey. Now, Paul was, early in his, in his life, he wasn't a follower of Christ at all. In fact, he hated Christianity. He was trying to persecute the church. He didn't have, want anything to do with it. God enters his life, changes his heart entirely, and he becomes one of the most passionate communicators of the gospel. Goes out on these missionary journeys. He'd been on, a, on an earlier missionary journey with a guy by the name of Barnabas. Here he's on a second missionary journey, and literally they're just going from city to city, proclaiming what Jesus has done in their life. And and through that, some people are very accepting of the message, 
And some people say, I don't want anything to do with it. And at times they're imprisoned and they're, and, and they're persecuted for what they do. But they're on these different missionary journeys. The scripture we're going to look at, he's on the second missionary journey. And he's about to come to an area in, in Macedonia, a city called Berea. And, and that's where this particular story takes place. Just three verses. But it says this. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away. And this is verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, this was Paul's custom. Paul was Jewish by birth. In fact, he used to be a Pharisee, which meant he was part of the religious elite. And he knew that outside of the Jewish people, the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah to come. They didn't realize at this point Jesus had already come. And so they're gathering together. For 400 years, they hadn't heard anything at all from God. And so they're gathering together, looking for the Messiah. So Paul says, I'm going to go where people are already hungry for this message. And so typically what Paul would do is, we, he, just like missionaries would go today, they'd go from city to city. Paul would go into a city, but for him, the first place he would go would be to go to the Jewish synagogue because they're already studying what we know now as today is the Old Testament, but for them that was just the Scripture. They're studying the Scripture, and they're looking for the Messiah. And so Paul would say, okay, if there are people that are already hungry for this, often the first place I'll go is to go into the synagogue because they're already discussing these things. Now, he's met with a broad variety of responses. Sometimes he'd go into synagogue and the people get really upset and they'd throw him out. At times he's arrested and persecuted, made fun of. All those responses I'm sure he's getting. But this one instance, we see a different response altogether. So Paul goes into synagogue. He and Silas travel. They get in synagogue and they, they says, verse 11, Now these Jews, the ones in Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, another city. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Here's what's happening. This group of of Jewish people that are living in Berea are waiting for the hope of the Messiah. They didn't know it was Jesus, but they're waiting for the Messiah to come to free them from the bondage. They're waiting for for the hope that is supposed to come in the Messiah. And they're gathering together and they're already hungry for this message. They just don't even know the, the prophecies already been fulfilled. The Old Testament is full of these prophecies pointing people to a coming Messiah that was going to save the Jewish people. Paul comes and says, hey guys, I know you're gathering studying scripture. What if I propose to you he's already come? Now sometimes he's met with hostility because of that, but here he comes and they're hungry and they're searching for truth. And it says they, they receive this word with eagerness. Now, they don't know Paul. They've probably heard rumors about Paul. He used to be one of them, and they're probably skeptical of him. But there's something about the message that engages their mind, and they say, we want to search the Scripture. And this isn't just Paul shows up one night, shares it, and they say, okay, let me think about that. We'll get back to you. But there seems to be a daily thing where they say, we've heard this message. We don't really know Paul. And because we don't know Paul, we're going to search the Scripture on a day-to-day basis to find out if these things are true. If we do this right as a church, what the Bible calls discipleship, if we, or what we refer to as discipleship, discipleship is, is leading people in that growing relationship. A disciple is one who follows a, a teacher. In the New Testament times, even the Old Testament times, there were these, these, these rabbis that would go around and they'd be teaching and the disciples would follow and write down everything they did and try to live life as they lived life. Well, as, as we are in the process. Each one of us, this is our calling, is to go on and make disciples. Discipleship is a process that makes that possible. That can take on a lot of forms. 
and there are a lot of churches that do this a lot of different ways, and, and we're trying to look at today, what is the system that we use as a church to be able to accomplish that? I don't think there's any one perfect system. I think it's a, a fluid thing that we try to do to say, what is, what is best for our time? What is our best for the people that we're ministering to? And so today as we talk about groups, we talk about groups as the means by which we want to do this. We want to sit down together. We want to talk about the Bible. We want to grow together and be challenged. The Berean church, they, they do this. They, they sit down. They listen to Paul's message. They study the scripture. And they have these discussions back and forth to say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? For those who are on the outside that might seem intimidating at first to say, wait a minute. We're going to sit down in groups. We're going to talk about this. But I want to, I want to get to this. A couple of, a couple of months ago now, we actually had someone that goes to, to church here that had, that had some special stuff going on. So they had some family that was, that was here. And, and it was like, he's a young guy, but an older family that was here. And, and they were there. And, and they went back and they were telling their friends about what they experienced here at their church. And, and they're like, you know, it's so cool. There's a bunch of young people and they're sitting down and, and they're discussing the Bible in a way that was easy to understand. Really, that's what groups is about. Groups is about us coming together to study scripture in a way that all of us can understand. And today we're talking about this idea of groups and how we want to get together. And, and, and part of what we've done in, in this study and why behind the what is to look at, okay, if, if this is what we're doing and I understand this is what we should be doing, but I have some reservations about this. Like I know that I should be growing in my faith. I, I know that that should be part of this. And once I make a decision to accept Christ and to follow him, I know that there should be a, a, a steady growth in my life but I might have some reservations, and I'm sure there are probably others, but I came up with three reservations people might have about why groups maybe not be for them, at least, at least right now. Number one reservation is this. Uh, I, I want to grow. I get that I want to grow, but I'm already coming to church. Isn't that enough? And listen, we pour a lot of energy and excitement into what we do on Sunday mornings. I love Sunday mornings. I love coming together. And, and there's something about when we get together to corporately worship God and, and, and to lift up the name of Jesus, there's something so powerful about that. I love that. We have staff that puts a lot of time and energy throughout the week preparing for Sunday mornings. We have a slew of volunteers that make everything here work. Everything from, from people right now that are working with children back in the back to, to the booth workers, to the band, to the guest services, to people that help set up, people that tear down. There are a bunch of people that make Sunday morning happen. And I love Sunday mornings. But if we think that that's all it takes for us to grow is we can show up for an hour on Sunday morning and I can fill myself up and I'm gonna live throughout the week because of that week, I think we're missing something. Last year, I was, I was on this journey. And my family's kind of going through this with me, but, but I realized in my life, one of the things I needed to, to bring into my life was I needed to get a lot more physically healthy. I'd kind of fallen off and made a bunch of bad choices about kind of health and all that. And so last year, I said, I'm, I'm changing my lifestyle together. I'm starting to become about eating healthy and, and, and running and exercising and doing all these things. And one of my friends a year before had, had, had a similar change of lifestyle, got really healthy, lost like 100 pounds. And, and one of the things that he did was he, he really, really focused on being healthy all week long. But to give himself one day where he could enjoy himself, he called it his cheat day. And so every Saturday was his cheat day, and on Saturday he could eat whatever he wants. And he said, J.J., the only way I made it through was I knew I was being really, really diligent all week long because I knew when I got to Saturday, I could enjoy Saturday. See, the problem, the hardest thing about losing weight is we like food. That's the hardest thing. Like, if it weren't for that, if food wasn't appealing to us, if it didn't feed that appetite, it would be okay, it would be easy, but we love food. We have so many good food options. And so he said on Saturday, 
That's my cheat day. So I said, okay, I want to implement that. And so about three quarters of the way through the year, I was enjoying it. We're doing pretty well. And about three quarters of the way through the year, I was invited to go to a restaurant with, with a friend. Our family was invited to go to a restaurant with a friend in Orlando called Four Rivers. Has anybody ever, hear, ever heard of Four Rivers? Uh, one person. Okay, good job. I, I had never heard of it before. I, I know, I'm, what's Four Rivers? And, and, and so they go, we go there and they, say, they have all kinds of meat, you kind of cafeteria style, you pick what you want. But they said, it's all about the sides. I said, okay, I can get behind that. And so we showed up there, and, and they said, and, and so on. And she said, normally my boyfriend, she picks a couple, he picks a couple of different meats because you want to try it all. And so we eat, and we eat, and we eat. And I got done, and I was so sick. Like, I loved it, but I was so sick by the time I was done. We're driving the car home, and literally I told Beth, I'm like, I might need to pull over. Like, like I don't feel well at all right now. We ate way too much. And we got home, and I said, that's it. I, I think I'm good. I don't think I'm going to eat another bite for the rest of the week. But Sunday after church, guess what I did? It doesn't last. Like, like we want it to last. I felt so full on Saturday night, but by Sunday at 1 o'clock, I'm like, I'm starving. What's for lunch? Spiritually speaking, we think, I'm going to come in on Sunday morning, and I'm going to fill myself up, and I'm going to get everything I need, and then at the, end of the, at the end of the week, I'll come back, and I'll get that again, and it's going to make me get through life, and it doesn't work that way. For us to be in a growing relationship with Jesus, it takes us coming together on Sunday morning to kind of get this thing started. It takes us individually throughout the week feeding ourselves. But I think it's also essential that we have groups. That we get together, that we spur each other towards love and the good works. That we do that. I know the value of people in my life that God has placed in my life to spur me to do something good. Groups is the philosophy that we use, the, the, the vision we have as a church. That we think this is the best way for us to accomplish that. Growth is good. We get that growth is good. And maybe studying groups is an important thing. But isn't there an easier way to do it? I mean, we got to kind of, if we have kids, we have to provide babysitters and figure all that out and go to someone's house and we need to prepare food. And, and, and there's a lot to it. Like, isn't there an easier way? Like, I know some churches do Sunday school. We're already here. Wouldn't that be a good option? And listen, there's some churches that do a great job at Sunday school and there's nothing wrong with that. A couple of weeks ago, we had a friend that was coming and, and uh, they called up. They're like, hey, what time Sunday school? I hadn't even thought about that one. I said, well, actually, we do groups. We don't have Sunday school, and it's not, there's nothing wrong with Sunday school. But I search throughout Scripture, and I'll see, like, sometimes you have people, you invite them to church. A lot of times people who grew up going to church, and they're like, wait a minute, you don't have Sunday school? How do you not have Sunday school? Like, everybody has Sunday school. I search throughout Scripture, and I don't see any place where you see the word Sunday school mentioned together. Like, I don't see that. There's nothing wrong with it. It is a strategy of discipleship the same way groups are a strategy of discipleship. I don't think one is better than the other. I think we're trying to have a vision for what we're trying to do as a church. We've chosen to do groups. Nothing wrong with Sunday school. In fact, if you go back and look at the history of Sunday school, it wasn't started in biblical days or anything like that. Sunday school was started uh, sometime towards the end of the 1700s in England. It was actually the height of the Industrial Revolution, and, and the children that were there in England were having to work throughout the week. And the church has said, wait a minute, we have to do something to effectively reach these kids because they have to work throughout the week. They're not getting any schooling. So let's do this. Let's provide Sunday afternoon. Let's provide school for the children that have to work during this revolution. Let's provide school so they get the academics they need. And part of that academic curriculum was we're going to add in some religious education. And so Sunday school literally began as school that happened on Sunday. 
And eventually church adopted that, that strategy throughout the, the country and the world. And they started, once kids went back to school, they started just to bring it part of their religious education. Again, nothing wrong with it. But they saw it as a meeting of their needs in about 1780. Today, as life gets busy and we pour a lot into Sunday mornings, again, there's nothing wrong with different strategies. But we think the most effective way for us to be able to do life together is for us to meet throughout the week in homes. And so what we do as, as a church is, is we give, and, and today at the end of the service, we're going to give you a chance to sign up. And Chris Neff, who heads up this area of, of groups and connections, he gets you with you and he puts you in groups based upon what night of the week works best for you and, and where you live. And you get together and, and, and you eat and you study the Bible and, and you help each other grow. Because there's something powerful that happens when we're put in groups of people that we do life with. We spur each other. We want to do the right thing. See, God has hardwired us to live in community. God has hardwired us to want to have people around us. And when we're surrounding ourselves by people that are doing well, we do well. When we surround ourselves with people that struggle, we struggle. And we can follow, we, we, we can say that we love Jesus. But when we miss out on being plugged into his, his idea of discipleship, we're missing out on all of this. Because of this, we, we can love Jesus in isolation, but we follow him in community. For each one of us, we can love Jesus in isolation, but we follow him in community. When we start to have that group of people around us that pushes us, that spurs us to want to do better, the stronger that we get, the more we push them, and the stronger they get, the more we push us. When I started to see that, when I started to have that group of guys in college, we were all doing okay academically, but the better we did, it pushed the people around us to say, we want to do better than that guy. I know he just made a 97 on the test, so it's not enough for me to make a 97. I want to beat him, not in a negative way, because it can very quickly become negative, but we were spurring each other, and as we did better, we celebrated the successes of the people around us. Because when we do this life right, we surround ourselves with people that care about us and that we trust, and we push ourselves and we push the people around us to excel. And that works in the area of academics, it works in the area of finances, and it especially works in the area of spiritual growth. So it can happen in different settings. Uh, the reservations, why people don't, don't want to get plugged into groups. Uh, we believe in Jesus in isolation, but we follow him in, in community. The final reservation is this. And I get this one, and this one might be the most powerful. I think... Just as I've talked to some friends, I've talked to someone just this week who said, I want to get involved in this, but here's my biggest reservation. I don't know a whole lot of people. And so if I go to someone's house, isn't that going to be awkward? And yes, it could be. Especially when you first show up and you're like, I don't even know the person whose house I'm going to. Like I talk to them on the phone, but I'm a little bit kind of scared walking into this. And I get that. And it might start off awkward. But all I can say is my experience is that it doesn't stay awkward very long. You get plugged into a group of people that care about you, that are, that are loving you, that are supporting you, and, and, and you sit down and, and you have dinner together and you talk. And if you're sitting here and you say, I don't know a whole lot of people at Ridgepoint Church, I can't think of a better way to get to know people than to sit down on a week-to-week basis, eat a meal together, and talk about life. It might start off awkward at first, and actually, at the, at the very end of this, we're going to talk about a way that we're going to try to make it a little bit less awkward for those who are still not sure about this. 
Because our, our biggest thing, we came up with a system, this was uh, quite a few years ago, we came up with a system and said, this is how we want to see discipleship happen in our church. We want to be able to use our RPC groups to be able to spur each other and to discuss the Bible and to grow. But we want everyone to grow. Like, that ultimately is the purpose. Whatever it looks like here, we want people to grow. We believe as a church, the way that happens, we can love Jesus in isolation, but we follow him when we're in community together, spurring each other and, and prodding each other towards that, which is good. And so we're going to do this in just a second. We're going we're gonna to pray. And once I get done praying, the band's going to lead us in, in one more song. And there's going to be a short video. And then I'm going to talk through how you can sign up for groups. But here's what I'm asking is that as we begin the process of talking about this, I know some of you guys are already plugged into groups and you're already ready to go. Some of you guys have already started to meet. That's awesome. But if you're sitting here on the fence right now and you're saying, I'm not sure about this whole groups thing, like that seems a whole lot. Uh, we would love for you to ride away to, to jump right into one of the groups. And, and we have some groups established. We can even establish more groups. But we also have something I'll talk about in just a couple of minutes after the band gets done called RPC Starter Groups. It's something we're starting up this semester uh, that we'll get into. But first, we're going to pray. The band's going to lead us one more song, video, and then we'll talk about that. Let's pray.